Welcome to Radio Spätkauf. We're broadcasting on Reboot FM on 88.4 in Berlin and 90.7 in Potsdam. We're a half-hour show about news and what's going on in Berlin. My name's Maisie. And my name's Joel. And Joel, what's coming up in the show today? Tonight we have an interview with two indie filmmakers who had their uh, low-budget documentary film censored by the BVG, the company that owns the U-Bahns. Yes, but more about that coming up later. Uh, first, to start off the show, Maisie, a bit of news from around the city. That's what we do here on Radio Spätkauf. And the spectre of Takales is back oh, again. Yes. really? If you thought you'd heard the last of Takales a few months ago, you were wrong. Although the, uh, the, the artists who used to practice there were thrown out. Uh, now Takales is back in the news. This, of course, being uh, the, the big artistic building in, in Mitte there. Um, it's back in the news because uh, because one of the city's uh, favorite sons, you might say, <laughs> favorite to some, the, the actor Daniel Brühl, is filming a movie there. Uh, him and DreamWorks Productions are filming uh, a movie about WikiLeaks founder Julian <laughs> yes, Assange. Yes, I saw the photos. And and um, and and WikiLeaks in general. Um, uh, unfortunately, Brühl is not paying. Uh, Julian Assange. I would have liked to have seen him in a wig and, uh, oh. you know, with a, a powdered face, but he apparently liked his beard too much. He's playing somebody else in the film. But nevertheless, they got permission to film in Takales. So this is the set. I'm not really sure. There is no connection between WikiLeaks and Takales in real life. So I'm not sure why they're trying to put one in the film. Maybe it's just a grungy looking place and they needed a typical Berlin look for it. Or maybe Julian Assange went and hung out there with the artists. I, I doubt it, but maybe that's what they're trying to spin, you know. Um, anyone cool coming to Berlin must have gone to Takales, right? Yeah. Anyway, so the the story behind this is that the artists who used to live in Takales and practice there are really pretty upset. The reason being, they were thrown out of the building a few months ago um, under the pretense that the building was condemned. So the city said it's unsafe for anybody to be in this building because of fire regulations and so forth. So we have to kick you out. Now, a few months later, uh, Daniel Brühl and, and, and DreamWorks Pictures come along with, uh, with their movie. And apparently it's all right for those particular artists to be in Takales. So it kind of just um, you, you know, shows the whole paucity of the arguments that were used to get rid of the artists from that particular building. and makes you realize it's all just about money in the end anyway. Well, that's what they said about the Palace de Republic as well. What? No, it can't, can't, can't come in here. No, get get out. It's full of asbestos. And then they tore out the asbestos and then tore the building down. Uh, and so kind of it all went in one go. And danger wasn't used an excuse for getting it pulled down. But at, at least they didn't have the humiliation of a Hollywood movie being shot in there before it was torn down. No, but they had Einstutz and Neubauten doing a gig. And there were several art performances kind of that went over the space of about a year. So they had lots of time to look really stupid. It could have been worse. Yeah. <laughs> well, not really. The building went. It's pretty yeah. bad. Anyway, other news, maybe this uh, lately, you might have heard that a bank in Berlin was subject to a pretty spectacular robbery. Yes. Some some robbers tunneled into a bank in uh, in the southwest of the city. 45 meters they tunneled, which wow. is pretty impressive, actually, I would th- say. I is mean, that as far as the people who dug under the wall went? I think there were many tunnels under the wall of different yes. lengths, and some of them may have been longer than that. Yeah. Um, but uh, anyway, I read an interview with somebody, actually funny you bring that up, that who had been a tunneler in that time. He yeah. had tunneled his way out, of, and he was commenting on how there are actually some parts of the city where it's very easily easy to tunnel because of the wonderful, soft, sandy soil. Yeah, so hard maybe, to build. Maybe it wasn't so hard for them. But yeah. it must have been work anyway. Yeah. They, they certainly earned whatever they stole, I've got to say. Yeah, yeah. Well. In one way or another. The interesting element of this story is that that uh, for the first few weeks after the robbery, the police were putting around a mugshot saying, have you seen this man? 
Uh, and the mugshot they were using was a picture that was taken off the identification documents that were handed over by these uh, robbers when they rented the, uh, the vacant car space from which they used to create their tunnel. They rented uh, an empty car space in a multi-story car lot that actually had an underground level near the bank, and from there, they at night tunneled their way uh, into the bank. Um, so this mugshot was going doing the rounds, uh, and suddenly some innocent poor man from the Netherlands was contacted by a friend saying, hey, you're wanted by the police. The robbers had taken a picture off Facebook, just a random guy's picture off Facebook, stuck it on an identification document and had been handing that around. Wow. So <laughs> if you need a reason to delete your Facebook account, there's one. You might yeah. end up on the mugshot of some, you know, manhunting from an, an, another whole city. Yeah. Anyway, they still haven't caught the uh, the robbers, by the way. Oh, they haven't? No. They're probably underground somewhere. Gone underground. Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry. Another form of robbery, Maisie, to discuss. Oh, yeah. Well, not robbery. More theft, it is, it's theft. theft. Theft of words. Yeah, still theft. theft. Plagiarism. Yeah. Plagiarism. And, it le- and it leads to money in some sense or other, I mean, some form or other. As you'll discuss shortly. Yeah. It's almost an essential form of robbery in, in, in Germany, we've discovered. It is, discovered. yeah, almost compulsory, yeah. Shall we stop being cryptic and yeah. explain <laughs> what it's about? So, the, uh, the, of course, you might be aware that uh, in, in Germany, there's been a string of high-profile plagiarism accusations, not just accusations, but, uh, but you know, actually fully-fledged, well, not a conviction, but what's the, something when someone's proven that they I don't know. Con- I think they kind of lose, they basically just lose their, their status. Lose their status they, yeah, as, 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 as a, a result doctorate. of being found out of, of nick, nicking stuff from other people, basically. The most high-profile pro- high one of these was the former defense minister, the good... Oh. Um, uh, Karl von Gutenberg. <laughs> yes, everyone's favorite politician. Who became known after, afterwards as von Gugelberg for his uh, wonderful work at uh, stealing a lot of uh, other people's um, you know, academic thought yes. and sticking it on his own doctorate. Yes. Um, and he got caught, as well uh, as maybe three or four other high-profile politicians. Yes, quite a lot of them, actually. I mean, I've got four here already, um, two of whom are from the FTP. Um, Jorgis Chat, I can't, I can't pronounce his name. Chatsimakakis, an uh, European, an MEP, yep, uh, from the European Parliament. Yeah, yep. the European Parliament. Remember the Free Democrats. Uh, he was done for basically stealing or not, not basically citing quotations, um, attributing them to, to the right people in his doctoral uh, thesis. Uh, Silvana koch Mirin from the FDP. She had to step down as uh, head of the uh, kind of FDP's um, European Parliament group. Then there's, last but not least... Uh, oh, the latest uh, one. The latest one, yeah. So yeah. the latest one to join these this, this prestigious ranks. Uh, uh, well, and she hasn't actually joined them yet, we, we should say. This is still yeah. under investigation. But it's actually the education minister. Yeah, oh, which irony. Is, Sweet irony, yeah. It, her name uh, is Annette Chavan, uh, Chavan, and she is currently under investigation by her own university with accusations that she stole um, a large portion. Apparently, passages on 60 of her 350-page dissertation were found to be questionable, um, and they're currently under academic review. Um, and uh, you know, her, her, her university is considering stripping off her, her, her of her doctorate title. Being would be so embarrassing mm. if you're the education minister to be taken, have your doctorate taken off you. Yes. Um, but what is it? What's interesting, I find, is that she's actually really defending herself yeah. very strongly, and and Merkel is also really behind it, which makes me think 
you know, if you were actually guilty, you wouldn't be defending yourself at this point. You would realise that you're done for and would just throw in the towel, wouldn't you? Or, you su- or you're supremely arrogant. Or you're supremely arrogant. Um, I think, I mean, this this made me think about the whole kind of the fact that, that having a doctorate is, is compulsory, basically, for many lines of work in Germany. Uh, and even jobs where you wouldn't kind of necessarily need one. It's a business managers. Yeah, having to do, you know, doctoral theses on business management. And I just think, well, actually, if you expect people to do this, they obviously most of these politicians to get their assistants to put them together anyway they don't know what goes into them but because they have to do them um, it's just you know has to get done and ultimately does it really matter that much so the whole german the trend towards people in any level of authority or power having to have a doctor it actually yeah. puts pressure on people to plagiarize yeah because i, I mean as the lovely to googleberg actually in his defense said well i was phenomenally busy when well, you're very very busy when you're a politician and working and where do you get time to actually write these things and it's a good point i mean i, I very loath to defend this man but i do think basically <laughs> he's right in that sense is that you know fitting a doctoral thesis in, in between your job and your political career is quite a feat i think so perhaps removing this onus on everybody yeah. higher in germany to have a uh, have a doctorate degree actually, should be enough mm, really yeah you know Yes, and our last bit of news for today, Joel, completely unrelated to doctoral theses. GDR Plattenbauten, uh, prefab buildings. You know I'm a big fan. Maisie's got a, a, a bad case of nostalgia. She loves anything. It's not bad, it's good. It's a good case of nostalgia. Anything from the former East, especially <laughs> the architecture. Yeah. So Plattenbaus, those wonderful grey slab buildings that are all around the Cheaply East. Cheaply built. What's up with them, Maisie? Well, basically, uh, there's a building in Berlin in Pankow, and the local council is actually campaigning to have it saved where basically Plattenbauten on the whole people want them torn down uh, now even now you know everyone wants to get rid of them and uh, the local council in the north is saying we want to save a building because it's going to be um, cheaper to keep it there than building a new building and it's very unusual it's a very unusual case because people don't campaign to save these things uh, they usually just get bought up and renovated or torn down uh, and I was thinking, well, you know, maybe there may be now, due to the kind of lack of flats in Berlin, <laughs> this kind of great wave of kind of pro, you know, prefab building people who are just saying, let's just save them, save ourselves some money and hassle. And Otherwise, we won't be able them. to find anywhere else to live. Exactly. I mean, they were tearing them down wholesale in the 90s. Um, the early noughties, when I first moved here, they were they were like pulling down thousands of them, uh, which I just think seemed kind of suicidal and, and does, certainly does now. Uh, so hopefully that's put a halt to that. Um, and now we're going to seek very nicely uh, from uh, GDR Plattenbauten into GDR songs. Um, what I have discovered, you got for us, Yeah, I discovered this fantastic song. Well, it's not fantastic, but it's a fantastic concept. A band called Liedertafel Margot Honecker, which was formed in 1992 by a musician called Felix Kubin. You might have heard of him. He's been doing the rounds at the Transmedia. Uh, he's an electronic musician from Dussel, uh, from Hamburg. Sorry, uh, He calls himself a Dadaist. I'm not sure whether he's really serious about that. But he basically formed a band, well, not a band, formed a party called the Kommunistische Einheitspartei Deutschland. That might sound familiar, no? Mm-hmm. Basically, it's a kind of play on the Socialistische Einheit Party Germany, Socialist Unity Party of Germany. Uh, and it was a fake Dada socialist party. Uh, it was only lasted for two years, got a lot of press attention because it was basically formed two years after the collapse of the GDR. Uh, so it was quite kind of bad taste in that sense. And they basically re-recorded lots of uh, socialist songs uh, in a kind of entertaining way. Uh, and, you know, the leader Tafel, Margot Honecker, was its kind of musical branch, the, the party's musical branch. And this is their rendition of a socialist children's song about the building boom in the GDR. And it's called Überall wird aufgebaut, which means they're building everywhere. 
Welcome back to Radio Spätkau of the Berlin Podcast, also broadcasting on FM, on Reboot FM. Uh, Maisie, the topic for the next talk break is all about graffiti. Yes, and, indeed. And we've got a big interview coming up at the end of this talk break with a couple of filmmakers who made a movie about graffitiing on trains in Berlin. Uh, but before we get to that, a few news stories on the same topic. Yes, uh, they've... <laughs> I don't know if you hang around Alexanderplatz much. We all do in some way or other. Um, they found toxic graffiti on tram stop shelters What on Alexanderplatz. What the heck is toxic graffiti? Yeah, I was quite intrigued by that because I imagine kind of either stuff that looks hideous or, <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's kind visually of radio- toxic. <laughs> I don't, you know, radioactive. Visually toxic, yeah, well, it often is. You know they love graffiti here and graffiti artists, I, I call them artists in uh, you know, in the loosest sense of the word, um, have basically been scratching their names into these tram stops using um, hydrofluoric acid, uh, which is Ooh. toxic yeah. um, and is usually used, I think, to, for paint stripping. Uh, uh-huh. And they've been doing it on, I think, apparently 12 of the tram stops, are, sorry, not 12, five of the tram stop shelters around Alexanderplatz last Tuesday. A 12-year-old girl sat, By one of, sat on the kind of bench at one of these tram stops and she got chemical burns, had to be taken to hospital. She must have touched it. Ooh. And then two Val Agi employees, they're the people who kind of put up the hoardings and, you know, run the, <laughs> the tram stops, uh, complained of having breathing difficulties, having come into contact with this stuff. And the Bifalgi and Wulagi are offering a reward of up to 7,000 euro for information on any about, about the people who did it. Um, you can only buy the stuff with a permit, So that narrows it down a bit. But basically, these people are doing their tags using this hydrofluoric acid, which is very, very corrosive, I think. Well, Maisie, maybe they should have gone to graffiti school instead. They should have, <laughs> but they might be too late for that. Um, because basically, yes, the SPD or one specific politician from the SPD, um, Ilkin Uzizik, I'm sorry, apologies for the pronunciation. He's campaigning to, uh, he wants the graffiti lessons introduced in Berlin schools. So you can learn at school? You can learn, yeah, and he wants the history of graffiti, colour theory and chemistry all kind of linked together in one handy lesson on, on graffiti. Uh, I'm not really sure why. They're saying it'll help to kind of fight vandalism. Uh, I don't know what they'll teach the kids, really, apart from it kind of encouraging them to do more. What are, what's with these politicians making ridiculous statements like there's not even an election within well there is one coming up at the end of the year but last week we a, lot, a couple of weeks ago we had the the other SPD politician saying that, that we had a problem with all the the names of bread in in yeah. Berlin you know we had too many Schwabian these people have got too little to do in Parliament <laughs> at the moment too I much think. money and yeah too little time they're all they're searching little, for a hot time. topic I think they probably are and they've they've got to submit a proposal to the Berlin City Parliament it's actually going to be seriously discussed mm-hmm. in a couple of months uh, whether they introduce graffiti lessons and of course all the kids are for it they love it but <laughs> what it really achieves I don't know Uh, but maybe less or fewer kind of hydrofluoric acid tags may be the aim. I don't know. That, 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 I'm sure that will not be on the class materials list, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> hydrofluoric acid. Well, um, another graffiti-related topic, Maisie. And let me get to this with a bit of a segue. If you listeners, Berliners, are looking for um, some kind of moral justification as to why you shouldn't buy tickets when you ride the U-Bahn, let me give you one. Uh, that, that's, of course, assuming that you don't really have your own justification, like that you're poor or that you think public transport should be free, which are all very legitimate top, um, you know, uh, ways of calming your conscience when you're on the train without a ticket. But here's another one. The reason you shouldn't buy tickets on the U-Bahn is because the Beerfalgi, the company that owns the trains, uh, is involved in censoring 
They're all for censorship. Really? They're banning films and they're blocking independent filmmakers from doing their job. Uh, we've got an interview now with two filmmakers, two indie filmmakers, who put a lot of time into making a documentary about uh, people who spray paint the trains, the U-Bahn trains. So, uh, you know, this is something that happens all over the world, people spraying trains. Um, it happens in Berlin, although you don't see it very much because they don't actually put those trains into service very really? often. The reason being the Bifogi doesn't want to show the graffiti and that's one of the reasons that they came down hard against these filmmakers who put a lot of time into their movie only to have it banned by the Befalgi. Oh. They took them to court and had the film blocked from being screened, shown, distributed or in any way uh, aired in public on the grounds that, well, they were basing it on a, a very obscure legal ruling um, that said that the people who own property are allowed to have a say in how it is filmed or f photographed. Uh -huh. um, and so on the basis of this, a court ruled that, that the Befelge had a right to say that this film should not be distributed. So the poor uh, filmmakers who had, um, had languished waiting uh, for an appeal, uh, unable to show their movie. And let's see what happened as a result of this whole process. We're going to hear now from the two filmmakers for, who made the movie Unlike You, a story about train writing in Berlin. I'm Henrik Regel and I'm one of the producers of the documentary Unlike You. So my name is Björn Berg and uh, I did the movie Unlike You, Train Writing in Berlin together with Henrik Regel. The film is about the obsession of people who are interested in train writing. Painting trains is like the, the hardest thing in graffiti and the realest. In Berlin it started at the end of the 80s. I don't think that it's a, a retro thing, but the high point was maybe in Berlin in the 90s and around 2000. And nowadays it's the people who are really hardcore train writer. I think they're much less than maybe in the 90s. Uh, it's very hard to get into these spots because you have to spend a lot of time with checking out the spots. You must find a little timetable where there are no guards or the train is uh, out of service so it's very hard but but we are not uh, able to show the tricks of the the writers because this was one of the things that we have to promise them because uh, they don't want that any everyone is able to paint a train and then how hard was it for you to get the trust of these train writers it was it was very hard because uh, you can't uh, dive deep into the scene like uh, like in one step because you must get the trust of them so there were there was a lot of time for us to spend with them and uh, we had to prove um, that we that we will protect their secrets so uh, it was very hard the biggest uh, thing what most of the normal people don't know is the obsession and the addiction that the train writers have to their business for example the social contacts with other people who are not interested in train writing they get less and less and and maybe don't recognize that uh, you have a lot of different stress coming with with it for example financial problems or healthy problems because you always get the gas in your lungs from the cans and there are a lot of problems and for us as filmmakers it was uh, like interesting to show this so let's get to the um to the part where you, where it kind of gets interesting for you as filmmakers you made your film and then the bfl gear came along uh, and and tried to almost censor your film to try and make sure it w wasn't shown um can you maybe explain very briefly why they tried to do that or what the what they did to, to stop your film being seen i think the biggest problem was that we made this art open for everyone on the street because uh, normally the B4G didn't show painted trains. They don't send them into traffic. And with our DVD, we send it to traffic because everyone was able to see it. 
and they had a big problem with this. So, so they actually uh, went to court to try and ban your film from being seen, and they used some kind of obscure uh, legal ruling that said that you're not allowed to film uh, a public building without the owner's permission or something along those lines. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. The film was banned nearly two years, and in the meantime, we had like 150 letters with the lawyers of the BVG. Our lawyers had a lot of stuff to do. And in the first uh, trial, the BV, BVG won, and we were deciding that we try another one. And the second trial, we won, and now the case closed. So you won? Yes, we won. <laughs> uh, and if people want to watch the movie or uh, want to learn more, how can they do that? You can go on unlike-u.com and uh, see some more facts about the movie and the trailer and stuff like this. And you can order the DVD on the, on the homepage. So as we heard, Maisie, a happy ending. The film is released now and you can see it. You can pick up a copy. I think you can even get it at Media Markt and all the big outlets. They've got really good distribution. Um, or you could uh, watch it online. The film, again, is called Unlike You. Uh, and, you know, go ahead and support some, uh, some local indie filmmakers. You should also be supporting some local music. We like to play tracks here on Radio Spätkauf by local Berlin bands. Here's a song by the band The History of Color TV. The song is called 1-800-BAD-NIGHT. The History of Colour TV there. Uh, and while we're, while we're on the subject of music, um, I just want to say thank you very much to Stephen Headley, a.k.a. The Crane, who has composed some marvellous jingles for us, uh, one of which has been accompanied by his wonderful girlfriend, Isa Garen. Um, speaking of uh, talented, interesting people and things, uh, I just want to talk about the Beer Pinsel, my favourite building in one of my favourite buildings in Berlin. The, the what, Maisie? I don't know what be a pencil. A pencil is like a paintbrush, like a tip. Mm-hmm. I don't really know what... I can't translate it because that's embarrassing. Uh, but basically, it's a building in Schlossstrasse, an area you generally wouldn't go to unless you're lost in Berlin, I think. Uh, not much attractive there apart from the U-Bahn. And the beer pencil, which is a 1970s construction, which was kind of graffitied, going back to the graffiti again, uh, and closed, has been closed for about two years um, because of a pipe bursting or something like Apparently it's going to be reopened in the next few years and restored to its former glory. Now, does this count as nostalgia? It was, no, nostalgia. Uh, is yeah. that such a thing? Is Vestalgie. there such a thing as Vestalgie? No, I've just invented it. You've heard it here first. Vestalgie. <laughs> and there's a lot of that around lately. I've seen the covers of local magazines saying the West is cool again and we're all re- remembering yeah. how cool the West run, was. run out of things to mind, Joel. Heard it here first. Well, from one monument to another, Maisie. The, uh, the TV tower. Of course, you can't avoid it. But here's a question, Maisie. How many people do you think actually know how tall the thing really is? Now, I know you do because you're a knowledgeable lass mm. and because you've, <laughs> you've, you've done your rounds as tour guides and so forth and, and you, you know, you know your, your, your facts about the city. But I actually was wondering to myself, how many people in Berlin know how tall the TV tower is? And to find this out, I did one of my favorite things, which was to go into a local bar armed with my recorder and ask people a question. I call it the pub quiz, and my question was, how high do you estimate the TV tower is? I guess it's normally about two and a half meters to the roof. So your average building is like four stories high, which makes it exactly 10 meters. The television tower is probably about 10 times higher than a a normal apartment block in Berlin. That sounds possibly higher than it should be, but I'm using that as the basis for the estimate. So, a hundred meters. Oh my God, I have no idea. Um, I 
Ich habe ungefähr, keine Ahnung. ungefähr. 67 Meter. 67 Meter, okay. Okay, warte, dann sag ich. Ähm, nein. 111. I believe it to be 100 meters high. Wie hoch ist der Fernsehturm in Berlin? Eine Ahnung, so 100? Hast du eine Ahnung? Ich hatte 120 gesagt. Ich weiß nicht, wie viel er ist. Ja. 120 hätte ich gesagt. 126 Meter. You can estimate to the nearest 10 meters. Or 10 feet since you're British. I think maybe about, I think maybe about 200 meters. 180. 200 meters? 230? I think it would be 250 meters high. 254 meters. I think it's 320 meters high. 360 meters. But gives a rational reason or not? No. 375 meters. I'd say 500 meters. Could you tell me how close I was? The idea is that I'm going to use the logic of the crowd. Ah, to see if the average answer of the crowd is the right one. Exactly. Oh. I suspect that you might be at the upper end of the uh, crowd, but we'll see, we'll see. I don't understand what 500 meters means. 550 meters. Uh, uh, 365 meters. That's what I was saying. Exactly, yeah, that's it. It represents Perfect. the days in a year. That's good logic, you can't argue with that. It's, it's, it's not even logic, it's just knowledge. It's, it's the height of the TV tower. That's, that's why they decided to build this, this high. It's the same, uh, same thing as with uh, like, uh, what's it, uh, Freedom Plaza One? Or uh, like the new Empire, uh, Empire Trade Building, World Trade Center, I don't know. It's 1,773 feet high because of uh, the Declaration of Independence. And the Eastern Germans decided to make the TV Tower 365 meters high. Why didn't they decide to make it 1,945 meters high? Uh, because at the time I think it wasn't possible. So Macy, that's what the public said. What's the real answer? Uh, yes, the guy who said it's uh, 365 uh, metres tall is correct. He wins fact. the prize. He wins first prize. Although I should say he's not correct about his other facts. Uh, the tower in New York is three, uh, 1,776 feet tall. So uh, there you go, smart Alec. You don't know everything. Wow. <laughs> That's about all we've got time for, Maisie, on this uh, episode of Radio Spätkauf. We're also going out on 88.4 FM Berlin and 90.7 in Potsdam. Uh, it's been great having you along. We'll be back in two weeks with another conversation about news and culture and what's going on in the city. So thanks very much for listening. Bye. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC.